Okay, good Erev Shabbos. I'm going to start. I have a lot to say. And uh, we wish a good Shabbos to everyone, those in front of me and even those that are not. But we appreciate uh, everyone listening in. The series sponsor, Alana Mark Rothberg, Rachel Feiner, Memory of Ezra Ben Yaakov Feiner. We thank you. This week's co-sponsors, uh, Chavon Ephraim Casper, Ruthie and Isaac Allendauer, Esther Warren Levy and Jennifer and Eric Skatina. When you look at this Parsha B'Shalach, so we very often focus, as I mentioned last time, on the Yitzias Mitzrayim aspect, which is wonderful for Pesach. We could get to it as well today, but I usually like when I teach it, when it's Parsha's B'Shalach, to focus on not necessarily the same areas that we'll focus on Pesach. Now, of course, it is called Shabbos There's some very interesting minhagim that maybe I'll get to on Shabbos. You know, they say this is the Shabbos that's all for the birds. Do you know about that? The special minhag to feed the birds on the Shabbos. Now, whether it should be done on Shabbos, like they used to do in the good old days, today everybody's from, so they feed it before Shabbos, so they don't feed it at all, or they hire somebody to feed it. But uh, we're not going to really get into it, but even the birds get into Shabbos So I really want to deal with um, what we're going to call Torahnomics, a certain uh, approach. Some of this we actually dealt with in our Tefillah year, but a very difficult pasuk that really uh, generates a lot of discussion amongst the Rishonim, the Achronim, even uh, earlier. And we'll show three uh, basic approaches, and I think within each one, there's a lot to learn. And uh, the mo- most important one, if I could say so, will be the approach of Rashi that we're going to build on. You know, today in many ways, without giving a full drusha, Shabbos is under attack. What do I mean? You know, there was once a time, many of us remember, you know, my father telling me stories how his father would have to work, you know, Sunday to Friday. And then uh, he told him he's not coming in on Shabbos, so they told him, okay, find yourself another job. I don't know if it happened every week, but it happened a lot. You know, today it's a lot easier. Today you go to a, a company and you tell them Shabbos starts at two o'clock, you know, and they say, okay, they assume it's that, that way the whole year. You know, my brother worked for a company. They say, we don't understand this whole Shkia thing. So just take off at two o'clock on Friday for the whole year, no questions asked. And today, if you don't get it, you know, you sue somebody. But uh, it wasn't like that in the past days. But there's something in the middle. You know, the, the Jews, you may hear about this again. I was going to talk about this at Charles Shittis, but I, you found a better speaker. But, you know, I read articles almost every week about some Jewish kid who uh, grew up maybe going to some Orthodox day schools. I'm not judging the kid, but I'm talking about a general issue of guidance. And, you know, Jew, Jews have gotten better in athletics these days. for a number of reasons for it. Steroids definitely helps. But there are other reasons as well. And um, the kids who actually think they could play on Shabbos. Again, I'm not judging a particular individual, but they're missing a whole point, or at least the educational system. Whether you violate Shabbos, don't violate Shabbos. Yeshayahu came along, the prophet Yeshayahu came along, and he said there's a certain spirit of Shabbos. That was not like a suggestion. You know, that's actually built into our system of how to observe Shabbos, what we're supposed to do on Shabbos and not. Rabbi Soloveitchik pointed out, and we're going to use a lot of the Rav here, which shouldn't intimidate people because it's very beautiful and emotional, where he shows how in this Parsha of the Mun, you really have insights into the way Shabbos is supposed to be observed forever, the way God's attitude was toward Shabbos, especially coming out of Mitzrayim. So that's where we're going to start off. 
and then we'll go a little further to really have an appreciation of what we're supposed to do on Shabbos, part of what we're not supposed to do on Shabbos. And then when we talk about uh, the stories of heroism from the past, there's always, you know, you run into a certain risk. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein said, we shouldn't say to uh, Jewish kids these days. Now, Rabbi Moshe said this in the 50s, it's Shver's design a Yid, because the American Jew is not going to be able to handle that. The next generation is going to hear, okay, for you it was tough. Who wants to have a tough life? So all the stories of sacrifice for Shabbos, on one hand, maybe it intimidates, but you can't go to the opposite extreme where everything's okay. So let's go through this a little bit with that in mind. So, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, we, we're coming to Mun this week. You, you know, there's nothing like uh, a Jew without food. <clears throat> a good Jew without food starts getting, it's a term today. You know the term, it's called hangry. It's hungry, but instead of hunger, there's a little anger in there. And you see even at a Kiddush on a Shabbos, those that are here involved with very disciplined people, and many of them may have had a good breakfast in the morning, I'm not counting, but when it comes to Kiddush, you know, in the Midwest, those of you that are from the Midwest, they line up at Kiddushim. I went the first time to a Kiddush in Detroit, and I went right to the front, and they say, no, there's a line. A line for a Kiddush? We would never be able to pull that off. So Jews get upset if there's not going to be food. So Vayomar Hashem, I'm going to give you a gift. This gift is going to last for 40 years in this week's parsha. It's in the same parsha of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and uh, sometimes we forget about it. Hinni mamtir lochem lochem nashamayim. You're going to get bread from the heavens. And you're going to be able to collect it almost every single day. And then the Pasuk says, the reason why I'm giving you this test, Hashem says, the reason why I'm giving, sorry, the reason why I'm giving you this man is to test you. To test whether you'll follow my Torah or not. Now, I would love to have tests like that. Right? You know, we're going to give you an unbelievable take you to the inbar, whatever you like, the breakfast, King David, every single day, because you know, Chazal said you could actually get the food to taste like the way you wanted it. That's not the biggest test in the world. You know, give me that test. Give me an ice cream test. You know, it's a lot, being tested is when you're not given food and how you're going to behave. So the question that's raised by Rashi right on the spot and by many of the Rishonim is where's the Nisayim? If you're getting your food every single day, where's the Nisayim? So Rashi tells us two things. I'm going to focus a little bit more on the second, but let me read it to you. Rashi says, Im yishmaru Along with the man, like almost everything in life, there's some small font, you know, on the bottom of the package. And what, the pa- what that font says is there's certain rules. Number one is you can't uh, hoard it, right? So everybody gets the same amount of man. I mean, obviously you'll get more if you're family size, but you, you can't keep it overnight. That's what, so that's going to be one of the tests. We'll come back to this one according to the Ramban, which may be hard for some people. You imagine today, people like to save. They like to put the money into savings accounts. You couldn't. So that is an Isayan, maybe more of an Isayan of Emuna, probably more particularly Bitachon. But Rashi then says something else. And this is what I want to focus on, at least the beginning of the year. V'lo yatsu b'shavis loko. So when we say dvar yom biyomo, I said almost every day, you're not, on Shabbos, there was no mud. There were some people who tried to play a game by putting some mud out and making fun of Moshe Rabbeinu. Maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow. But the mud didn't fall from the heavens on Shabbos. What did you end up getting? You ended up getting a double portion on Friday. There are a lot of expressions that we have, including Lecha Mishnah, the way we even put the, 
practice of putting a challah cover for at least one of the reasons over, and you know, there are people that also put a plate under, is supposed to remind us of the month. And the connection with Shabbos is also connected with other days because the same thing happened on Yom Tov and uh, Yom Kippurim. They got a double portion the day before. So Rashi says, that's the test. It's nothing so fancy. The test is, are you going to handle these items in the proper way? There's a built-in test. Are you going to follow the laws? This is part of you know, getting the Jews nurtured away from being slaves to Paro to being ser- servants to Hashem. Now, there's a pasuk, which is the next pasuk, which the Rav, I only noticed it this year, Rabbi Soloveitchik said it's really the key to the whole episode, uh, the key to the whole story. Now, there is a narrative in here because you had guys, even back then, who didn't listen, who tried to hoard, and you have people that went out on Shabbos. The next passage says, it's going to come to Friday, today, and they're going to have to prepare. The preparation over here didn't necessarily mean making a shalant, or there's a nice yupchik smelling in my house that went up last night that I put in, but didn't cook, and uh, it's preparation for Shabbos. And they're going to end up, obviously, being able to eat on Shabbos what they prepared the day before. So I want to read you something straight out from Rabbi Soloveitchik, which is, is pl- found in a number of places. What does it mean? And then you should prepare. What's the significance of that for us? It shall be on the sixth day when they prepare what they will bring. Shabbos is related to man's preparation during the week. The preparation solidifies its holiness. The essence of Shabbos is based on these verses. It is a day for which we must prepare. So that's just something to keep in mind, that Shabbos doesn't just come. It's something that you have to work for. It's true as well as, you know, you have to leave four o'clock or three o'clock, two o'clock, but also as far as the preparation, what we call the positive aspects of Shabbos. And he goes on to say something very beautiful, and you actually found this earlier in the Meshachachma, that the basic goal of Shabbos, if we go beyond specific laws, is found in Pasachav Tess. The reason why we're supposed to prepare so hard before is so that we have everything on Shabbos. Shabbos is not the day where you go out. You don't go out to work. And even socially, there's nothing wrong with socializing on Shabbos to a certain extent, but the Mesha Chachma says it's not Yom Tov. You know, according to Shabbos law, we find Baruch Hashem a way around it. There's no Erev, right? Eruvim uh, are allowed. But at the time of the Torah, there was no Erev. And the goal the Mesha Chachma said was Shabbos people were going to stay in their own house basically with their own family. You know, they'll go to shul as well. It's a day to reinforce, your, you know, your team, your, your, your family team and your, your, your relationship between yourself and Hashem. Yom Tov is a moe, people come together. So this idea of staying local, right, the idea of not going out to work, you actually find its source over here, even though there's no Torah law against. According to the Torah, you technically could work a cash register on Shabbos, assuming that it doesn't violate one of the Lama Tess Malachas. But Yeshayahu came along and it said, we lose the spirit of Shabbos, so what's it for? The Rav says, already embedded in the Mun story is this concept, and we'll come back to it as well. Now, there's a second approach. The second approach is that the Nisayon, if you listen to it very carefully, this is from the Sephorno. Lamana noseno hayelach b'tawrasi imlo. You know, the Sephorna was living in Italy. This is uh, like 100 years or so after the Spanish Inquisition. 
and the Jews were rather affluent. I don't think, no, of all Jews, I don't know if it was America, but the Jews, he himself was, uh, had, had some finances. He was involved with the government. He dedicates one of his svarim to the king. But he told the Jews in Italy, you know, it's not necessarily going to last forever. You know, our relationship with this country, you know, has got some, uh, there's some skeletons over there in their closet. So we have to be careful. And he encouraged people to learn Torah, just like we do. Torah is our essence. So he takes this literally. He said, what happens if you're given money? Or you're given, you don't have to worry about making money. I mean, at that point, that's all they needed. They didn't need to make money. They needed to have food on the table. So one of the reasons we worked, to put food on the table. That was really the only thing they had to do then to, to live. Everything else was provided by Hashem. So he quotes here from the Mechilta. The Mechilta says, Lo Torah The Torah was given for the Ochleiman. And the Sephora understands this, not necessarily the Torah that's going to be given in next week's parsha and some of the laws that we find in this week's parsha, but when you are provided for economically, do you dedicate some of your time to learn? or a lot of your time to learn. You know, we like to say there's a mitzvah to learn a little bit in the morning and a little bit at night. That's the minimum. Really, we're supposed to be learning all day. Now, you have to be with your family, right? That's also part of Talmud Torah, especially if you educate them the right way. But what's beautiful over here, and you'll see the contrast, as Sephorno says, it's the test of wealth. It's not the test of poverty, it's the test of wealth. How do you handle yourself when you basically have it made? How do you spend your time? What are your efforts? Do you recognize where it comes from? Do you always say, listen, a few more hours of work, a few more hours of work? When, when you balance, and these are real questions in the Shah HaBitachon and the Chavos HaLavavos, you obviously have to put an effort. Today we don't say, you know, I'm waiting for the month. Anyone who says I'm waiting for the month, it means they're waiting for their father-in-law to support them, right? But, my, but the father-in-law's name isn't month, right? It may be Mr., but it's not month. But... How much, how much is extra time? How many hours do you have to put in? You know, there's, that's the balance between the Shtadlis and Bitacha. Now, the Ramban takes another approach. This approach is incredibly uh, expanded upon by Rabbi Soloveitchik as well, and I think any rabbi, any of us, could understand it. The Ramban says that the concept of mun, and I'll put it into modern-day terms, it's really a challenge to the way everybody in this room was raised, or definitely post-Holocaust. Uh, you know, because we do, to a certain extent, for good reasons, want to hoard money. I'm calling it hoard. We want to save. Because, you know, who knows what's going to end up happening. Think about it on a national level. You know, speaking to someone from France, you know, they've been saving money for 20 years, not just to, to live, uh, to go to the Eiffel Tower, but when are we going to, we may have to get out of here. So that's one reason, historically, to have some money. You also want to be able to live a certain quality of life. You want to be able to pay for yeshiva education. You want to be able to give your kids uh, certifications. Do you have to go to every island? You know, but, you know, again, they're going to be different degrees. But either way, the Jews back then, they, every single day, went to sleep, not knowing exactly what's going to happen the next day. It's true Hashem said it's going to come, but maybe it wouldn't come. You know, it's easy to live on pipe dreams or on a promise, but maybe they wouldn't behave, and Hashem would take it away. The Ramban says that the Nisayan over here is almost an Nisayan of poverty. It's the opposite of the Sephora. You end up with three different approaches. Rashi tells us we're looking at the halachas, Hilchas Shabbos, Hilchas leaving over. The Sephora says it's a challenge for wealthy people. 
Even today, you look at it and say, okay, are we dedicating enough time to our religious development? And the Ramban says it really is a challenge for people who are going through challenges. How are we going to behave when we're not getting everything that we want? You know, just because the person of Gospel Shalom is going through challenging times doesn't mean they're allowed to become Ganavim. We don't believe in that. Doesn't mean they can't act uh, ethically. They're not allowed to act that, that they have, to, we, they still have to act ethically, and they're still supposed to be devoted to people in So I have a couple of minutes. I'll stop right there, but I'm going to end with this piece from the Rav. The Rav says that all of this is coming after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not freedom that has no boundaries. This is what he calls, we're redeeming the economy. He says, for example, when you look at not working on Shabbos, that is a boundary, right? There's a certain boundary. You could work like a dog all week. Hopefully you leave some time for Torah and for your family, but it's got to stop when it comes to uh, Shabbos. He also says that an aspect that has to come out of this to redeem an economy, which he says a real true economy, not an economy of slavery, which may be good in the short term, at least for that government, but it's obviously not a, what he calls a redeemed economy, is there has to be generosity. So whatever approach you take, whether you're in the Sephorno world, whether you're in the Ramban's world, whether you're in Rashi's world, one of the goals of having money, which we call a man today, or we call it money today, it's interesting, the same term, man, money, maybe that's where it came from, is we have to also think about helping other people, giving it away. You know, back then everybody was the same, but there's that goal. And he also says that we have to always remember that there's a higher purpose, and that higher purpose is defined by the laws of Hashem. The laws of Hashem are not meant to punish us, it's meant, they're meant to give us a higher purpose in our lives. So we didn't spend uh, much time on the Parsha, but on the broad aspects of the Parsha, but to really look at Mun, that has such relevance in challenging economic times and even in thriving economic times, have a great job.